You're listening to Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies Digital Audio. Welcome to the Transformational Leadership for Transforming Times podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at the School of Continuing Studies at Georgetown University. The mission of the Institute is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required for a more sustainable and compassionate future. In each episode, we will explore current topics that are important for leaders who are navigating the complexities of today's world. My name is Bill Pullen. I am the Academic Director for the Institute, and I will be your host. I am pleased to be joined today by my friend and colleague, Valerie Brown. Valerie is author of several books, her most recent being Hope Leans Forward, Braving Your Way Towards Simplicity, Awakening, and Peace, and it's available for pre-order now. She is an ordained Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh and the Plum Village tradition, a facilitator trained by the Center of Courage and Renewal and Parker Palmer, and an executive coach specializing in leadership development and mindfulness, with a focus on diversity, social equity, and inclusion. Valerie is a former lawyer and lobbyist who transformed her high-pressure, 20-year corporate career into serving leaders and nonprofits to create trustworthy, authentic, compassionate, and connected workspaces. She's an accredited leadership coach and the founder and chief mindfulness officer of Lead Smart Coaching, and is a faculty member in the leadership coaching program at Georgetown's Institute for Transformational Leadership. In addition to all of that above, uh, Valerie leads an annual pilgrimage to El Camino de Santiago, Spain to celebrate the power of sacred places and as a certified kundalini yoga teacher, engaging leaders to embody somatic wisdom and creativity. Welcome, Valerie. It's great to have you. Well, thank you, Bill. It's such a delight to be here. And I just want to thank you personally and professionally for all you've done for the Institute for Transformational Leadership. I wouldn't be part of the Institute if it weren't for you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been such an honor to work with you. So let's talk about let's talk about the new book. So the new book is Hope Leans Forward, Braving Your Way Towards Wilderness, Simplicity, Awakening, and Peace. Tell me about the title, the book, and how you came to write it. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the, the title, maybe beginning with the subtitle, Braving Your Braving Your Way Towards Simplicity, Awakening, and Peace. Years ago, when I was doing my training with the Center for Courage and Renewal and Parker Palmer, I came across this amazing poem by um, Mark Nepo. Many people at the Institute know um, Nepo's work. And the poem is called The Dive. And in this poem, it begins with the words, brave your way on. And that phrase just became like a mantra for me. Brave your way on. Brave your way on. And of course, as we went into um, 2020, 2021, the Black Lives Matter movement, gun violence, the climate catastrophe, that those words just kept coming back to me that what is needed is bravery and the bravery that is grounded in a sense of wisdom, a bravery that is grounded in loving ourselves, being invested in ourselves and that, that is a very deep dive. And so that was part of the, the making of the title of the book. And the writing of the book, to be honest, Bill, is not a book that I really wanted to write. 
<laughs> to be frankly honest. It was not a book I wanted to write, not at all. But it was a book that I could not not write. And by that I mean when a person feels so compelled, so called, you know, like this is bigger than me. This is something that's yearning to be spoken. You know, at the Institute for Transformational Leadership, we talk a lot about transformation, what needs to be transformed. And it was all of the complications of my life that were happening, quite frankly, just about the same time that I started co-directing the leadership coaching program. So all of these things, just complications of life kept happening and pointing me in a direction of how does this, how do I transform this? What is the instrument? And the book became the instrument for that. It's like in many ways it became your own, uh, your own opportunity to take this crucible moment that you found yourself in and transform it and then use that in service to a larger world through the book. Absolutely. And the book is filled with stories, just beautiful stories of people who shared themselves uh, and real people. And so it's their stories, but how does your own story inform the book? Hmm. Yeah. So um, this is a, a wonderful question and it goes to the writing of the book. So in, in writing the book, I had a couple of friends early on read an early draft of the book and way buried in the back of the book was a kind of sequential story about what had been happening in my life, these kind of life complications, not unlike what happens to many of us. And so I, in the back of the book, I had talked about these events, 2016, my father passing away, and 2017, my sister-in-law committing suicide, my brother having a heart transplant, 2018, my marriage fell apart, and then in 2019, he moved out, and then, of course, in 2020, the whole racial reckoning and COVID um, and my brother passing in 2020, six months later, his wife died. And then last year, Hurricane Ida destroying a part of my house. And then most recently in April of this year, my other brother, Melton, passing away. So this was a cascade of complications and actually trauma. And I had just been head down, carry on. I'm high functioning, you know, just suck it up and keep going. And many people depending on me, being a lawyer, being very high functioning. And so I realized that that I had just been living this, you know, and the writing of the book made me realize, no, these are these string of complications. This is this was the ground of the transformation. And how can I tell the story of these extraordinary life events that happened sequentially for me? And what 
what can I say about this? What does this have to do with hope? What does this have to do with courage? What does this have to do with bravery? And of course, because we're not alone, I found many people who also had these extraordinary life circumstances, very brave people that were willing to share their story of loss and grief and transformation. And so very inspiring. What I appreciate about, A, I appreciate you sharing the story. I think it's, 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 it's such a gift that you're willing to share your story and all these experiences so vulnerably. I mean, earlier you talked about bravery. And I just what I appreciate you're pointing to is bravery is not just plowing through all these things and being high-functioning. I think so many leaders find themselves in these moments, or so many human beings find themselves in these moments, and so many leaders find themselves in their moments, and they, they can think that to be brave is just to plow through and keep going. Um, and what this book reminds us of, that is, that's actually not, it's, it's, it's not the way to go. Um, and what your story is reminds you of, it's like, we have to step back, we have to create space to, to be able to tap into the wisdom that is within these experiences and to find the hope. Uh, it's not just head down, keep going. I really appreciate that. And the other, I, I guess the other clarity that came out of the writing of the book and the thinking about all of this, and actually the life experiences and talking to so many people was about vulnerability, having the identity of a lawyer, and not just a lawyer, but a lawyer lobbyist for a long time. There was a kind of non-permeability, you know, like being the spokesperson and um, being the kind of talking head, being the person out there. And what I realized was how that was not only blocking me from myself, but blocking me from authentic and genuine relationships with other people. And I think as, as leaders, um, we are often, you know, present this very often siloed way of being in the world and not allowing vulnerability to be part of who we are, you know, seeing it as this uh, a kind of, as a kind of weakness, but allowing ourselves to be fully seen in the wholeness of what it means to be a human being, you know, not just merely projecting the Instagram post of, you know, the vacation in London, Paris, or Rome, but, you know, being able to say, hey, you know, this is the wholeness of this human being. And what I find that that engenders a realness and a trust that I think many of us are looking for in our lives, professional and personal. Yeah. In the book, you talk about calling the soul, the true self and the deepest longing. Can you tell me a little bit about what that means? Yeah. So part of my identity that I have, I actually inherited from my parents is a kind of sense of wanderlust you know, my parents were immigrants to the United States, as is the case for many people. They emigrated from the Caribbean. So I inherited this sense of the world is a big place. And I've often considered myself a kind of professional pilgrim, you know, like, um, meaning that I have a kind of natural curiosity 
and openness. And in the literature, in the experience of taking a pilgrimage, the very first aspect of taking a pilgrimage is this internal longing, um, which is often dismissed, quashed, or ignored by many of us. You know, we have this longing, whether it is to write a book, to have a conversation, to go beyond maybe what we might normally do. There is this impetus, this internal longing, but we can distract ourselves, busy ourselves, or just downright ignore it. But on that the, that first movement of noticing the longing. And I tend to think that that longing comes from a place with internally, you could call that place the soul. And you know that can be a very big word, the word soul. It can mean many things. And it doesn't quite matter what it's called, whether we call that the inner voice, the inner teacher, the Buddha nature, whatever, but to know that there is this internal part of us that has a rudder that can guide us, that is always there, that we can develop a sense of trust to that. So the longing was a big part of the writing of the book, of feeling that that needed to be given voice. And as I said, I listened to that longing. I didn't dismiss it. It was saying, this is something you cannot not do. And yes, it was very vulnerable to speak out, you know, these life complications. There was even a sense of shame, you know, I have to say, because as an ordained Buddhist Dharma teacher, as a Quaker, you know, the idea is, oh, you have this happy life and you have this happy family life. And then to put out, no, this person is in the midst of a divorce. But I realized that that actually gave me an opportunity to to speak about how I could go through this difficult thing of a divorce in a loving, responsive and open way, how I could do that in a skillful way um, that might actually make help to make me a better person and be useful to other people. I think this, this listening to the inner voice, listening to this calling is so important. I was with a leader this morning who is in a, she's in a moment. She just left a job more quickly than she had anticipated leaving in. So she's asking herself big questions about where she wants to go next and what she wants to do next and what, where she wants to have an impact next. And, and much of what we were talking about was just this, like this, uh, this need to slow down and give ourselves space to really hear that deeper part of ourselves. Because so often we are, we're led by other, we're distracted by other things or the thing we think we should do or the thing that you know, is habitual. And we don't, we don't listen to and then trust that other voice inside of us that is nudging us in a direction towards what would actually be meaningful. And one of my core tenets is when we listen to that voice and that aligns with some need in the world, that's where we're most fulfilled and we have the biggest impact. Like that's where the place of the greatest potential of service to the world is. Beautiful. Yeah, you know, and so many people talk about this. 
Um, for example, Howard Thurman, um, listening to the sound of the genuine, what is genuine within ourselves. And Parker, Parker Palmer often talks about this self-searching and that this is something that we cannot do alone. So as coaches, you know, we do this with our clients. In communities, we do this, we do this together. There's something, something deeply individual and personal about it, but it's also, you know, we have a lot of historical precedent for how to do this within, in a community and with others. Yeah, I love that combination of it. It's both a deeply personal journey and we can't do it alone. Or it, it, doing it in community with others um, enables that process. Um, you used, you used a, a line in the book, when life breaks you open, uh, what do you mean by breaks you open? <laughs> oh, wow. You know, we began by talking about this incredible poem by Mark Nepo, The Dive, A Brave Your Way On. So somewhere in the midst of the life complications, um, I was gifted a fragment of a couple of sentences from a book by Louise Erdich was on a conference call with somebody and they read out this, they read out these few lines and I was stopped in my tracks. I, you know, when you're confronted with something that is like so true and the line comes from the book of the painted drum by Louise Erdich. And she begins by saying something like life will break you and nobody can save you. Um, and living alone won't save you either. That you have to live, you have to love. This is the reason we're here on earth. We're here to surrender our heart. We're here to break our heart. And when it happens that you are broken or hurt or life is turned upside down, sit yourself under an apple tree and listen to the apples falling all around you and tell yourself, you tasted as many as you could. Hmm. And those lines really sum up for me a kind of true north hmm. of how to live in this world, that we live with a roundedness of, of truth, not perfection, but that life is going to break us. You know? And we're lucky if it does. <laughs> And how do we take this broken openness to be a more human person? And so um, one of the things that Parker says, and many other people have talked to this, certainly Thich Nhat Hanh has said this, you know, the next death or the next loss or the next whatever disappointment uh, helps to make us maybe a more sensitive, a more open person. and. And so there's an urgency of, of life that I feel. And in that urgency, I need to go very slow, to slow things down, to recognize that life is, you know, it is this beautiful paradox and polarity. It's, it's both and. And this, that the brokenness, the broken openness has by its nature a rounded quality to it. And 
it's often in pushing away the first bit of brokenness or avoiding it. And I did that for a few decades, like, I don't want any of that. Um, And, but it's been the practice of allowing a little bit of that in, you know, and this takes time risk that deepens a sense of connectedness with our own self and actually connectedness with with other people. One of the things I realized is I'm not an oddball out there that's like, I'm the only person that's experienced this, but that, hey, what happens in Wuhan, China affects people in Washington, DC, and therefore it matters. It matters. Yeah. The uh, well, I think in the, there's such a tendency when we feel that life is breaking us open because because it, it's not if it's when we have those moments. The tendency is to want to rush to the other side, and in that rushing to the other side, or resisting and denying it, or all the strategies we all the strategies we employ to not feel whatever it is we might have to feel in that actually can block us from the what wants to emerge from that moment. Um, what is what is being called forth from us in that moment, and that's where, like, you know, at, I, at Institute for Transformational Leadership, we often talk about these crucible moments that create have such potential in them if we allow ourselves to be cracked open, so that the the light. I remember an early teacher of mine talking about this as a she used to talk about you know that in order for the chick the chick to hatch, the shell has to break, you know, and that that allows for the chicken to emerge. So there has to has to, we have to allow ourselves to be broken open in some way if we want our, our our true potential to emerge. I think that's so true. And, you know, I'm not of the school that says all, all suffering is redemptive. Sometimes suffering right. just sucks, you know. And I'm also realizing, because, you know, the book is about, is about hope. And it's easy to fall into... Um, hope as in wishful thinking, hope, or um, hope as in everything's going to be all right, hope. And, you know, with our clients, particularly in the coaching uh, field, we want to move people quickly from darkness to light. <laughs> and um, and there's there's benefit to that. But one of the things that I realized that many people have talked about, Rebecca Solnit, uh, for example, speaks a lot about hope in the darkness. Joan Halifax, who's written a lot on hope and death and dying, talk about hope that is actually skillful. It's a skillful means. It's a practice that is grounded in values um, and in service to creating what we've been talking about, a better world a world for ourselves and for others. But it's not this dangly hope that's out there that's not rooted and grounded. And what does all this have to do with cultivating wholeness? Which was another, there's a, there's a chapter in the book that focuses on cultivating wholeness. What's the connection between what we're talking about and this idea of cultivating wholeness? Yeah, so again, I want to go back to um, the work of Parker Palmer, which has been so fundamental and grounded for me, and um, and uh, Thich Nhat Han. So Thich Nhat Han has coined the phrase "interbeing," interbeing meaning 
what happens to you is going to affect me. Today, in this very connected world, this is very clear. Again, what happens in Wuhan, China, is going to affect people in Toronto, Ontario. We know this for a grounded reality. And so wholeness is about seeing that connection, the connection, the connectedness of with among human beings and within this planet that we occupy. So if we're, if we're aware of that, then maybe there's not only a celebration of that, but a responsibility. And so that's one element of, of wholeness is just recognizing that we're, we're connected. The second element of wholeness is what we've been talking about. Wholeness sometimes could be interpreted as perfection, like everything is perfect, there's no bad stuff. And I'd love that. (laughs) Um, But every poet that I know, every philosopher, you know, that I am aware of speaks to the many sides of wholeness, right? Wholeness as in um, darkness and light, left and right. And so we need to really reach deep and search inside of us ourselves to see that the wholeness we're talking about is includes it all. It doesn't dismiss the complications and the complexities of life and the things we would rather not have. The more we try to dismiss, evade, get rid of, quash that part of ourselves, I have to believe that you know, we're dismissing a, a part of ourselves. And, and so it's really inviting and bringing all of, all of this in and seeing how this can be in service of the fullness of, of our lives. You know, I spent many years as a, as a lawyer and a lawyer lobbyist, and during that time, I was practicing meditation. I was actually a closet meditator, <laughs> to be honest. I would, you know, in my day, I would be doing my lawyer lobbyist thing. And then on the weekends and at night, I would be practicing med- meditation. I couldn't bring the fullness of myself to work. Um, at that time, a lawyer practicing meditation was an oddball. That's like an oddity. Um, you're not taken seriously. Today, you know, we know how important that is. But back then, it, it, it really wasn't. And so I was divided. And Parker often talks about, you know, living a undivided life where we bring in the wholeness of who we are. Yeah. And, and willing to, you know, in uh, not in an overshare, but in a responsible way, the fullness of who we are. I find this to be so important for like, when I'm talking with leaders and organizations, because I often hear there's my work self and there's my home self, or there's this part of me and there's that part of me. And they're, they're leaving behind great sources of wisdom by leaving parts of themselves outside. And that shows up in terms of the trust that they build, the connect, the genuineness of the relationships that they build, the 
humanity that people experience from them as leaders. So the more they people are able to bring their whole selves. And as you were talking, I thought about a mentor of mine. He used to say, you know, life has amplitude. There's the there's the highs and there's the lows. And if we uh, and if we shut down the lows, we actually shut down the highs too. And Brene Brown talks about this as well. We can't selectively numb. You know, so if we're not willing to to be with the difficult things in life, we're, we're actually not going to be able to open up as much to the to the joys and to the gratitude and to the to the to the positive things because we're we're narrowing the range of our human experience. We're not getting that fullness and that wholeness. I really I really appreciate that. And two things come to mind. Um, one is first a tremendous sense of gratitude for the work of the Institute for Transformational Leadership because I really see that the work there as a form of inner work. Mm -hmm. Um, We are, particularly in the leadership coaching program, we are inviting people into a journey of transformation, a kind of pilgrimage, right? From who they are to who they may be becoming and what they can't even see or imagine. And so that, that takes a wide open and gracious invitation to open oneself up, to be vulnerable. And, you know, we've talked about that many times, holding paradox and polarity and all of this. The other thing about, about what we're talking about, about being able slowly over time in community with practice to hold the brokenness, the openness, all of it, is the, the, the richness of, of all of this. So that these difficulties, these disappointments, the suffering, they have multiple layers and levels that can teach patience and perseverance as well as wisdom and openness. So when we, are, when we allow ourselves, give ourselves permission, test ourselves, challenge ourselves, go into the places that are frustrating or upside down, we get these kind of um, tangential, other tangential benefits of learning to work with patience. Because it takes patience to do that. It takes since developing a sense of of hope grounded in our values, right? So it's it's on many different levels that we learn to hold these emotions many different emotions, many different ways of being. We've touched on the community piece a couple of times, but in the book you talk about the importance of deepening connections. Can you elaborate? Yeah. Deepening connections begins with self. You know, um, and there's that, that's kind of like a bottomless pit. There's always another place to go, and, and we can know, you know, we can know, some part of ourselves. And this is why coaching is so important to have another person who can reflect as a clear mirror, hold up a mirror, who can offer an intuition, who can be gracious in their listening. And so the knowing ourselves is is very important. And it's not something that we can do, obviously, alone. And so I tend to think that uh, in community, this is a very critical 
part of the knowing of ourselves. Um, to be with others, to have a trusted advisor, a friend. The poet John O'Donoghue talks about, and I mention it in the book, um, an Anamkara, Anamkara, which in the uh, Gaelic language of the Celtic people, um, the people who in, inhabited Northern Ireland, this is a soul friend, a person who, where we belong. One of the greatest losses, particularly with COVID, is the loss of belonging, a sense that I belong here, that I am, I am seen, I am safe. You know, we talk a lot neurologically about what happens when a person doesn't feel safe. As a person of color, um, a, a deep sense of belonging and safety. And this is why I felt the voices of so many people in the book were important. For example, Ilona Kaufman, who identifies as a Black Jew. What does that mean to belong? And Ilona has taken her understanding of this and helped to found an organization called Jews of Color that is now reaching out to hundreds and thousands, maybe mil certainly millions of people to develop this sense through her lens of what does it mean to belong? So when I think about this whole question, the sense of belonging is critically important. Well, and as you were talking, I was thinking about the going back to the, the calling, like the, the, having a sense of belonging and deep connection to oneself and to one's true self and one's calling, and then being able to turn outwards to the world to connect with others, to connect with a larger world, but, but to like it's these multiple levels of connection that are possible. Uh, but it has to start with creating that connection to oneself, and that can and that again can ha that happens that can happen in community with others to serve as mirrors for us. Um, and I, I often find a lot of the leaders that I work with are missing the places where they can do that. They're missing the places where they can have the space to reflect, to, to do that in, the inner work, to create that deep connection to themselves because they're so busy doing, 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 or performing or trying to look good and all of the stuff that many leaders have to do. Um, so to, cre to create spaces for themselves where they can do that with themselves, with others, so that they can then turn towards their organizations that they lead and bring that into the organization that they lead, like you, like the person you're just talking about. It's so true. Um, there's a lot of research, as we both know, that say that leaders have an incredibly tiny amount of time in the course of a day to actually reflect. Something embarrassingly low, like 30 minutes to an hour um, in the course of a full day, um, that leaders are often siloed, lack community within which to um, have these kind of peer-to-peer, -peer, vulnerable, open, honest, direct uh, conversations. And I think this is a real crisis point. So this, this sense of belonging and how does, how does one take the stuff of life or the stuff of everyday life and, you know, and really work with it, to reflect on it, to learn and grow from it. And so the 
the work of the executive or the leadership coach is, is enormously helpful. And I know there are many organizations that are filling in this gap where leaders can form community, a community of peers to, to be together, to listen. And a lot of the work that I do, and I know a lot of the work that you do, is bringing these leaders together in a safe space, a brave space, where um, they can be seen and heard and, and share in, uh, in, a, in an honest way. This is, a, this is a real challenge, I think, that we, we have today. Yeah. So the last chapter of the book is called Bravely Home, Boundless Joy. I love that. Let's, 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 as we round towards the end of our time together, let's, let's talk about boundless joy. That's a nice way to, to <laughs> round out our time together. Yeah. Well, you know, when I wrote that, um, the title to the book and I thought, boundless joy, really? <laughs> In the middle of a global <laughs> pandemic? Uh, you know, you know, let's start a little bit smaller. Maybe basic okayness. <laughs> you know, let's start there. But you know that that whole topic of joy. I felt very uh, compelled to share some of the uh, the teachings, the philosophy from this very you know great uh, Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. On, on joy, you know, this is a foundational element of the Plum Village practice is how, do one, how does one cultivate joy? And so, particularly here in the, in the United States, we are super good at um, pursuing happiness or joy. We're not so good at generating joy and happiness within ourselves, that bringing that up within ourselves, even when the external circumstances are not so joyful. So how does one feel joy or basic okayness, happiness, when the circumstances are not joyful? We're in the midst of a global pandemic. People are dying. The glaciers are melting. And so one of the things um, that I've learned from Thich Nhat Hanh, or Thai, as he's often called in Vietnamese teacher, is joy is something we cultivate, like cultivate a garden. And so we do purposefully these tiny practices every day. Like yesterday, I was just walking outside and I saw a hummingbird. That was like a moment of joy. Um, or I look out my window and, wow, the sun is shining and it's, it's actually a nice, a pleasant, a lovely day. So this goes beyond just, you know, like, this is a cool thing to do. We know from neuroscience, the neuroscientists have a big way of describing this. It's called an experience-dependent neuroplasticity. In other words, our experiences matter experience-dependent neuroplasticity, we can shift and grow. The brain can change throughout the lifespan. And so our experiences matter. The conversations we have, the food we eat, the thoughts we think, and we can choose, we can cultivate joy, these positive experiences, small things, Little by little, 
moment by moment, day by day. And this is where the skillfulness comes in. You know? And so that is a practice. And I really want to leave that with the readers to know that we have the power to choose, to, to cultivate these very tiny acts that then weave a whole cloth in which we begin to see moments of basic okayness, joy in our daily life. Mm. I had my, my period of time that was similar to, to the period you describe of all of these difficult life events. And one of the greatest gifts for me from that time was this recognition that grief and sadness could actually coexist with gratitude and joy, like they didn't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, now that happened for me because I was in community and I had community to support me. Like I could, I could access those feelings and I, and I would have these beautiful moments of where it was, it was difficult and painful, but then right next, right next to it, I could tap into a sense of okayness or gratitude or joy that actually, that made me more resilient navigating through those experiences and it is a choice to cultivate and develop and to practice so i love that as we come towards the end of our time together what final thoughts would you like to leave with our listeners i really want to resonate with what you just last said that um, that we don't have to wait for everything to be joyful hopeful you know perfect that we have the agency to and the skill to cultivate this, you know, this this sense of basic okayness, gratitude, joy, actually, in in our in our daily life, that it can coexist, and it actually helps to make us a more empathetic person, a more compassionate person, because we can see, you know, many sides of it. And so not to throw out, not to run from the life complications, but to see how this can be the ground of a life that is a fully rounded truth, you know, a fully rounded humanness. My sincere hope is that people will walk away with that sense about their own lives and be inspired by the portraits of the folks in the book. Yeah. So thank you for joining me and thank you for you you and your work have touched me deeply over the years. So I'm super excited about this conversation and honor that you would join me. And for our listeners, again, the book is Hope Leans Forward, Braving Your Way Towards Simplicity, Awakening and Peace, and is now available for pre-order on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. So go out and check it out. And again, Val, it was great to be with you. Thank you so much, Val. It's been a delight. And thank you to everyone who listened in. Please join us for a future podcast. And to learn more about the Institute for Transformational Leadership and the programs we offer, you can go to scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Produced by Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies.